this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN Journal Club presentation. I'm your host, Christian Kroll, an emergency medicine and ICU pharmacist at the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics. To view this recorded presentation, head to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at ACCP EMED PRN. And for PRN members, slides can be found under the business document section on the ACCP Emergency Medicine PRN website. Today, our presenter is Dr. Therese Lewis. She is a PGY2 emergency medicine resident at Nebraska Medicine in Omaha, Nebraska. Her professional interests include emergency response, toxicology, and status epilepticus. Today, she will be presenting on the evaluation of use of epinephrine and time to first dose and outcomes in pediatric patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. All right. So like she said, today I am presenting on the evaluation of the use of epinephrine and the time to the first dose, as well as outcomes in pediatric patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So I have no financial relationships to disclose at this time. So today we're going to talk a little bit about cardiac arrest, specifically in our pediatric population. So cardiac arrest is expected to affect about 20,000 pediatric patients in the United States annually. Pediatric events are less likely to be contributed to primary cardiac reasons. It's more often going to be the end result of a progressive respiratory failure or shock or both. Children often can be presenting with bradycardia and poor perfusion with early treatment and chest compressions as well as ventilations. Prior to pulseless arrest, these patients are going to have the higher survival rates. The American Heart Association has published the Pediatric Advanced Life Support Education and Algorithms as well to guide our resuscitation attempts. Some important aspects of our PALS is going to be early CPR, especially before our pulseless arrest develops, the breath ratio of 30 to 2 for a solo provider, and then 15 to 2 for our two-provider resuscitation prior to having an advanced airway, and then epinephrine being dosed every three to five minutes, dosed at 0.01 milligrams per kilo or 0.1 milliliters per kilo using our code dose epi solution concentration. So on the screen here, you can see our pediatric cardiac arrest algorithm. I'm sure you're all very familiar with this. It's probably posted all over the code carts in your hospital. Some highlights of note from our algorithm include, include the rate of chest compressions, which is going to be 100 to 120 compressions per minute, which mirrors our adult population, with a compression depth of about one-third of the diameter of the chest, and then minimization of interruptions, rotation of compressors to avoid any fatigue. Our shock energy for our pediatric patients is going to be two joules per kilo for the first shock, escalating to a maximum dose of 10 joules per kilo for our adult shock. And then amiodarone and lidocaine are included as well for our ventricular fibrillation as well as our pulseless VTAC patients. So prior to going into our study today, I wanted to touch a little bit on some of our previous literature. So one of these studies is going to be the PACA trial. So this was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial that was done in about 2010. This study included patients who experienced an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest who then had ACLS provided by trial-trained paramedics. It excluded patients who had no resuscitation commenced or that were less than 18 years of age. The population for this study was primarily male in their mid-50s with their arrest occurring at home. 50% had bystander witness CPR, and then 45, 45% had an initially shockable rhythm. The time to medical contact for our PACA trial was around 10 minutes, but they did not report on the time to the first epinephrine dose. 
So in the PACA trial, the methods that they used, the Australian Resuscitation Council recommendations were followed. So patients were provided with compressions, defibrillation, an airway was secured, and no drugs were administered outside of our trial drug. These patients were randomly assigned one-to-one IV route only to receive every three minutes either our parenteral epinephrine, the concentrated solution, or a saline placebo, so only one ml, and then a max of 10 mls total were provided. So when looking at the primary endpoints for our PACA trial, our primary endpoint was the survival to hospital discharge. Secondary endpoints looked at pre-hospital ROSC, which was defined as having ROSC for 30 seconds or greater, and patients having a good neurologic function. This was defined by a CPC score of one to two, so normal function or mild to moderate disability. So when looking at our results of the PACA trial, so survival to hospital discharge, our ROSC achieved pre-hospital, and then our CPC score of one or two, the results from our PACA RCT, epinephrine one milligram given every three minutes increased the rate in which ROSC was achieved, but there was no difference in survival to hospital discharge or good neurologic outcomes. The next background study that we'll talk about today is going to be the Paramedic 2 trial. So this, again, was a randomized, double-blind, multi-center trial. This this trial included anyone who had experienced an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with ACLS provided by trial-trained paramedics that was 16 years or older. They excluded patients who had a known or apparent pregnancy, those who experienced cardiac arrest from presumed anaphylaxis or asthma, if epinephrine was administered prior to the trial-trained paramedic's arrival, and patients who had a traumatic cardiac arrest were excluded from one specific ambulance service. So this study had a similar patient population to our PACA trial, but it had only 20% shockable rhythms, which is a little bit more realistic to what we see in our patient populations currently. 50% of these patients had bystander witnessed arrest, and 60% had bystander CPR initiated prior to EMS arrival. The paramedic 2 trial did report on the time to epinephrine, which was about 21 minutes. So the methods followed for paramedic 2, again, a standard European Resuscitation Council guidelines were followed with chest compressions, intubation, ventilation, and defibrillation. These patients were allowed IV or IO route every three to five minutes to receive parenteral epinephrine versus our placebo. This study's primary endpoint was the rate of survival at 30 days. Secondary endpoints also looked at the rate of survival until hospital admission, the length of stay in the hospital slash the ICU, the rate of survival at hospital discharge, as well as at three months, and then our neurologic outcomes. And this was defined by our modified Rankin score of three or less. So when looking at our paramedic two results, they differed a little bit from our PACA trial. So there was a statistically significant increase in survival at 30 days for our primary outcome. There was also a statistically significant difference to our survival until hospital admission, as well as discharge and at three months. But again, no favorable neurologic outcomes at either hospital discharge or at three months. So some overall results for our paramedic two trial, it increased the rate of survival at 30 days compared to placebo, but there was no significant difference in the rate of favorable neurologic outcomes and more survivals in our epinephrine group actually had severe neurologic impairment. So on to the trial that we will be discussing today. So this was published recently in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. The question that this trial was hoping to answer was if pre-hospital epinephrine administration was associated with the survival in pediatric patients without a hospital cardiac arrest. So the methods used for this trial, they used the Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium 
epidemiologic registry cardiac arrest. So this is a prospective standardized data collection tool of consecutive patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Using this data collection tool, they actually visualized over 120,000 patients that had been assessed by EMS. The largest portion of our patients were excluded due to lack of resuscitation attempts or adult patients. And this was done at 10 regional sites in the U.S. and in Canada. When looking further at our population, patients were included if they experienced an out-of-hospital non-traumatic cardiac arrest that were then treated by EMS, which this was defined as shock being delivered by our EMS clinicians or chest compressions being provided, and the patients had to be less than 18 years of age. They were excluded if these patients had a DNR order, if the initial rhythm was unknown in the documentation, if the epinephrine administration status was unknown, if the patients received vasopressin, if epinephrine was given via our endotracheal tube, if there was any missing or negative resuscitation interval variables, and if there was any missing data about the survival to hospital discharge. So the outcomes for this study, our primary endpoint looked at the survival to hospital discharge. Secondary incomes looked at a favorable functional outcome at hospital discharge, and this was defined as a modified Rankin score of less than or equal to three, as well as if the patients received pre achieved pre-hospital ROSC. So a little bit on our modified Rankin score. Some of our larger stroke studies use a modified Rankin score definition of less than or equal to one for their good neurologic outcome. So this trial is using their definition of a modified Rankin score of three or less to be a good neurologic outcome, which is the same definition as the paramedic two trial used. So our definition of modified Rankin score of less than or equal to three is going to be patients that have moderate disability that require some help but are able to walk without assistance all the way down to our modified Rankin score of zero, which is no disability. Some information that was collected on our patients that is going to be of note when we get to our results. So the pre-hospital IV or IO epinephrine administration, as well as the interval between our advanced life support arrival, as well as the epinephrine administration time. When looking at our statistical analysis for this study, so to determine the association between epinephrine administration as well as our outcomes, they used a time-dependent propensity score as well as a risk-set matching analyses, and they uh, risk-set matched these patients one-to-one. -one. And then looking at epinephrine in each of our outcome comparisons, they used a fitted log-length function for generalized estimating equations as well as our relative risk. When looking at the baseline characteristics of this study, it's going to differ a little bit from our two previous randomized controlled trials. In our PACA and our paramedic two trials, this patient population was going to be primarily in their 60s and 70s, older male patients. So obviously, this study was looking at our pediatric population. They decided to split our groups into patients that were less than one year of age and then patients that were greater than one year of age. Most of our patients were going to fit in that greater than or equal to one year of age, but we did have 40% of our patients being less than one. 60% of our patients were male. A shockable rhythm was only present in 3.9% versus 5.9% of patients, so our no epi group versus our epi group. Layperson CPR was started in almost two-thirds of cases, which is a pretty good rate. And then our time to epinephrine was about eight minutes after our EMS arrival, and EMS arrival median time was about six minutes. So this gives us an overall time from the call to epi administration of about 14 minutes, which our paramedic two trial was about 21 minutes. So when looking at our outcomes, so looking 
specifically at our propensity score matched cohort. So for our primary outcome, the survival to hospital discharge, our relative risk ratio was 2.09, and this was statistically significant. Our favorable functional outcome at hospital discharge had a risk ratio of 1.61, and this was not statistically significant. And then our patients that attained pre-hospital ROSC had a risk ratio of 1.44, and this was statistically significant. The authors also had a graph that they included. So this was looking at the risk ratio of epinephrine administration with outcomes stratified according to the timing of administration. So it looked at the interaction between epinephrine administration and then the time that it took to administer. The results were not statistically significant, so they did not see an impact on the timing of epinephrine administration in the outcome of survival to hospital discharge. Also something interesting that we can point out when looking at these graphs is the time after the advanced life support EMS arrival in patient survival decreases fairly significant after about 10 to 15 minutes of the advanced life support being provided. So some of the authors' conclusions when they were discussing this study, they concluded that epinephrine was associated with a survival to hospital discharge as, we, as well as achieving pre-hospital ROSC. It was not associated with a favorable functional outcome, and timing was also not associated with survival. So when discussing this trial, some of the strengths, so our findings seem to be pretty consistent with the prior randomized control data that I presented from the PACA and the Paramedic 2 trial, and they also had some fairly well-balanced cohorts. When looking at some limitations, so one of the limitations that I found in personally to me in the study was the definition of functional outcome. So with the paramedic two trial using the modified Rankin score of less than or equal to three, I think it was fair for them to use that as their definition of functional outcome for this study. But it is kind of a broad definition and it's debatable and probably patient to patient specific if that's actually a good favorable neurologic outcome to have some level of disability. Although it was a small portion of our patients as well, there was no data collected on antiarrhythmic medications and if patients received those or the jewels of shock that were provided. So we had that 3.9 versus 5.9% of patients having a shockable rhythm. So we're not sure in those patients if they received the appropriate algorithm-driven antiarrhythmic or shock provided. And then another limitation could also be the quality of our EMS teams. So the quality of EMS is going to be a little bit variable. Our most important aspect of advanced cardiac life support is going to be compressions and the quality of those, as well as how quickly the EMS can get the patient either an advanced airway, provide them with medications. And that's going to be kind of hard to determine and was not reported on in this study. So some of the big takeaways when it comes to this trial, so the trial seemed to correlate pretty well with our prior randomized control trial. So I think it's just adding to that database of literature that we have saying that although epinephrine may be associated with survival to hospital discharge and the achievement of pre-hospital ROSC, that it might not benefit us for our overall functional outcomes. And although neurologic outcomes were not statistically significant at this time, epinephrine should still remain our standard of care for our pediatric advanced life support. And our data did point towards the low chance of survival after a certain duration of ACLS being provided to these patients. I think this is something that's also 
kind of been known that at, once you get to a certain point of providing that advanced life support, that the chance of survival decreases pretty drastically. But I think the study did a really good job of kind of reporting that graph and showing kind of where that steep drop off is after providing advanced life support for a certain amount of time. So overall, that was kind of how I had looked at the study at, and the evaluation of use of epi in our pediatric patients. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions. If you have enjoyed this presentation content and would like to hear more, subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. Additionally, make sure to check out our YouTube page for all recorded presentations. Thank you for listening to this week's ACCP Emergency Medicine Journal Club presentation. Join us weekly for review and discussion of new journal articles in emergency medicine. This podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the use of the contents and materials in the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users or patients should consult their physician or personal healthcare professional. The user or patient should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Emergency Medicine PRN.